The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is a very special episode of Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation. And this week, we're covering spoilers, a lot of spoilers for Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, I am very excited. We we try to do some fun spoiler casts with the big PlayStation releases, and I'm very lucky to be joined this week by narrative director Ben McCaw and senior writer Annie Katane from Gorilla. Thank you both so much for being here. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Of course. Um, so obviously, as I mentioned at the top, and hopefully if you click, clicked into this video or the audio version of the show, we are going to fully get into the spoilers of Horizon's story. Uh, I am going to hopefully pick their brains and, and ask some decent questions to, to learn about the creation of this world and this game that I love. And I know so many people out there in the audience loved as well. Obviously, if you have not beaten Horizon Forbidden West, pause pause the show go do that because you absolutely should and then come back and listen because it's it's absolutely worth going through it and then you can come back and find out more about it but uh obviously we're going to go into full spoilers so just as that warning don't don't click, click play if you don't want to be spoiled but with that said, um, I I want to jump into there are so many things I want to speak to you both about. And I think, you know, we're, we're speaking a few weeks after launch. So it's been some time. But first of all, congratulations on the launch and the, you know, the uh, acclaim. And I think the, the joy that I've seen from the Horizon fan base, it's been so awesome to see just sort of the audience and community really rally around what you and the team have done. Oh, thank you so uh, much. Yeah. Um, it's been super surreal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's so gratifying to see the reaction of the fans um, and just to see how people have uh, connected to the story. Also, just got to throw out there how gratifying it's been to see what people have been doing with photo mode. It's just spectacular, and we love it. Yeah, I uh, definitely since I even though I, you know, beat the campaign, continuing to go through the world and just explore and, and, you know, obviously trophy cleanup, probably my time is one to one spent doing things in game and spent photo mode time. So it's it's really been a joy to take advantage of this beautiful world and, and, you know, uh, find every amazing angle of it that's been created. And so much of it, though, that I, I, I fell in love with, especially going through the story of it all was 
Aloy's journey and the the character she gets to know along the way and that we get to know along the way. And so I, I want to jump into a lot of that with the two of you. I know we uh, spoke, uh, I spoke to both of you before the game launched uh, around one of the story trailer launches. And one of the things that really stuck with me was the excitement you both shared kind of about the the expansive cast and and the way they related to Aloy's journey of, of her, you know, having this wanting to do things on her own, but realizing she needs to have other people with her. Uh, and and now that we can you know talk about things in full, I was really curious of you know the decision to obviously this is the the next step in Aloy's journey. But what what about I guess specific companions or specific points of view from the world? Did you really want to bring into to Aloy's adventure in Forbidden West, either through companions or through villains? Well, I think um, you know it's a world where um, we want everything to be reflected back at the player in some way, and so in that sense, it's also a world where um, everything, in a in a certain sense, um, uh, reflects uh, Aloy. And so, whenever we we um, were dealing with um, a cast member or a um, an NPC or a side quest. A lot of our thinking was, how is this connected to Aloy's journey to kind of herself connect with humanity? Um, and what aspect of that character or that quest is going to trigger some aspect of Aloy's personality? I mean, that's sort of like our continuous like philosophy. So even when Aloy is going on an adventure that involves killing a lot of machines to help someone, which is kind of the basis for a lot of the the side quests that it's going to either um uh make her uh think or feel uh, in, in a way that she hasn't before or make her um or or reflect some aspect of her personality or have a familial relationship that she has to um to to, to think about or to feel about um, and, and, and that, that, so that's sort of what, what, what we did. We wanted to make sure that every single one of those moments um, had that kind of resonance for her. And in talking about some of the, you know, the main companions, someone like Val, for instance, it just made a lot of sense to us to bring him back because of the connection to the Nora tribe and how he sees her as the anointed, but also as a friend and someone who, uh, you know, he's worried about her. He's worried about the, the burden that she's taking on and he feels the need to help her. Uh, and so it just made a lot of sense for us to bring him back in very early in the story because he's the one who, who wants, uh, out of all the companions, to be by her side and to, to help her shoulder that burden, even if she doesn't want it at that point. And and I think you've just touched on the first, I guess, live wire, you know, hit to the heart for me that I wanted to bring up, which, of course, is the Varl of it all. Uh, I've, I've certainly seen some fan reactions online to it as well. But for me, I think I was sitting in my living room and, and I was playing with my, my partner. And even though she had not seen the first game, even she was like, how could they do this? It was just a shock for both of us. We were so, so enthralled, I think, with Varl on this journey. And, and Annie, to your point, he's, he's there from the very beginning with Aloy, both in you know the wider horizon canon but also specifically in this game he's on that first mission with her i i am curious about sort of the decision to you know kill off such a i would probably say beloved character but also you know someone who matters so much to aloy what goes into the process of deciding to kill that character off did it did it come early in the story crafting late were there other characters in consideration like how, how does all of that come about basically 
Well, I think you just hit the, the nail on the head. It's the most in, in, important character to Aloy in the story. And that's exactly what you want to take away. I mean, you know, I mean, I think um, sometimes we think about stories um, as things that make us feel good, but I think really they're things that make us feel. And, um, you know, and there need to be uncomfortable moments, there need to be uh, difficult moments, there need to be tragic moments, or else there really isn't much of a journey. Uh, and I think, uh, and that's not just for, for Aloy, I mean, that's for a lot of the characters and a lot of the characters specific to Varl as well. I mean, everyone suffers when, when, he, when he's gone. Um, so we really needed to bring the story to a low point. Uh, we really needed to bring, we really needed to make it matter. Uh, we really needed to make sure the stakes were there. And, uh, that was, uh, where we came to. And, and, you know, I mean, I think that happened very early in the process. I don't actually think that was something that, uh, we, um, it was certainly not a, a, a late addition. Yeah, and to add to that, um, uh, it's also what Ben was saying about the the low point. Um, you know, the very next mission when you're talking to Tilda and Tilda's presenting this plan of, you know, you might not like the options, but this is what we can do and we'll succeed. And it's really, that's because of where Eloy is at that moment. She's at this low point where she just lost her friend. She just lost Beta and Gaia. And she considers it for a moment, you know, she she can't just outright say no, because what Tilda's saying is making a lot of sense. But it's also that grief and that pain she's feeling and her reflection about everything she's gone through up until that point that brings her to the decision to, you know, say, no, we will find another way. I have another idea. That was one and, of the most difficult moments in the entire game to calibrate was the um, was where Aloy was uh, considering that tragedy as we go into the uh, the Tilda scene and the Tilda's vault. And one of the things we try to do with some of the art in that vault is have it reflect uh, that grief. And it's, there's a lot of grief going on there because there's the grief about Varl, but there's Tilda's grief as well, which is which is sort of part of, of that experience. And some of the dialogue that I'm most happy about in the vault actually has to do with Varl either directly or indirectly. Yeah, there's uh, the, so many points. I think that that art sequence in particular is one that really stuck with me. But there are so many points where there are those layers to what you and the the team really pulled off with the storytelling here. Um, the the two of you and the rest of the narrative team, and obviously the whole guerrilla team. I think there are so many moments where you can look at a thing and be like, oh, well, this is of course about how Aloy is feeling, but it can also be so much more than that and the other characters around her, whether it's in that art scene or even something uh, similarly as explicit with her and Zoe you know, having that moment of solitude and, and somberness outside uh, after that's happened as well. They're, they're, they're so moving and so affecting. And, and they also, I I'm, I'm curious if they're, they're sort of a, is, is it just working with the wider teams, but to make sure those moments stick, but also knowing this is in the middle of a really big open action game where people are also very excited to go take on giant machines. How, how what is the struggle there? Or how do you find the balance in that? Well, I don't, I don't see it as a struggle to find balance. I mean, I think like, you know, Aloy as a machine hunter is so baked into the concept and, and it, it is still fun to go and, and, and um, tackle the, the dangers and the threats of the world kind of in a variety of different ways. Um, I will say, you know, about that moment with Zoe, that was a moment that we knew needed to happen, but Annie was the one that really hit it out of the park with that. When she wrote a draft of that scene, it was just like blew us all away. 
and um and you know that was that's yeah I, I hesitate to call it one of my favorite moments in the game because, <laughs> because it hurts, but it's uh, it's certainly uh, one of the best. This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I would say, you know, that scene was, it was difficult because you you are grappling with all these emotions and, uh, you know, you know that the player has had access to the open world after leaving Tilda's place, but you've come back to the base at this point. You see that first scene with all the companions sort of still grappling with their grief and not really knowing what to do without Aloy there. Um, so it was really kind of thinking about that moment and continuing that conversation that Zoe wants to have in private of, you know, what 
would they, how would they approach this uh, now that it's been some time since it might be some time since the player's gone back to the base? Um, but also, what would Aloy say in that moment? Um, it's one of the few times, you know, that she she really does open up and she she admits her feelings uh, about Farrell and about how she's felt this whole time to Zoe. And that's a moment of closeness for them. It's it's that moment of grief that she couldn't really uh, allow herself to have back until this place because she knew she was still sort of in danger. She had to figure out who Tilda was. So just making time for that moment to happen with Zoe instead uh, just made a lot of sense. Um, well, on, on that note, and after Ben mentioning it, Annie, I guess I have you personally to thank for those, you know, 10 or so minutes I just kind of sat on my couch, uh, you know, a, a bit uh, misty-eyed, just kind of, there, it's a beautiful marriage, I think, of, um, you know, story and gameplay really coming together where you can just have that moment to, you know, the player gets the agency to just sit there if they choose to after that moment to come back and to visit and and, and sit and reminisce. And certainly after that scene, I I took a minute and just sat there and it, it, it was such a heartbreaking and I think really, really both specific but universal uh, exploration of grief in that moment. And so I think, you know, what you and it was accomplished in that scene, it, it's it's really tremendous. So thank you for, you know, writing that scene in general. That's not a question. Thank you. Least, but. <laughs> well, that's also um, a credit to, you know, our art teams and our cinematic teams. Like we, you know, we had this moment and we went to those teams and we said, hey, we we want to carve out a space for for Barl, uh, for his grave. And this scene means a lot to us. So how can we, you know, convey that uh, through through the scenery that, you know, you can you can actually see plain song. We're not just talking about it. Um, but yeah, so credit to to those teams as well for that's where it really all comes together. I'm uh, I'm just sort of getting chills again thinking about that moment in the Vista, as you're mentioning it because yeah it's it's really a tremendous moment and and as you said it it leans into uh, another aspect as you eventually get into uh, Tilda and everything and obviously I do want to touch on I think the the far zeniths at large is maybe a good place to to go to and then drill down a little bit more specifically um, Ben when when we spoke uh, you know during the uh, the preview uh, before the game. You had spoken a little bit about how there's there's so much in this game that hasn't been seen yet, and you were really excited for people to be able to see that. And we have, and it, 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 the extent to which I think things really shifted for me, there's there's a moment early on after you've discovered Hades and all that, and you have that first encounter with the Farzeniths. And for me, that was sort of a, a, a turning moment for the game where it was, oh... There is so much more to this that we don't know, and and I feel like that really plays into something you you've both spoken to me about, which is the the mystery of of the Horizon world, and and both the mystery for Aloy and the player of there there is so much beyond our conception of what you know we've experienced so far. Um, obviously, the the Farzinas are are a huge part of the story, but can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to integrate them into things like where, where it felt like this was a good moment to place them as a, a first true introduction after the, the teases in the beginning of the game and in, in that first introductory sequence, how, how did you, you know, attempt to layer them in, I guess. Well, sure. I mean, um, you know, it's funny because um, th this is a term that gets uh, thrown all around a lot in um, storytelling, but that quest is the inciting incident of the game. So, you know, sometimes we think of the inciting incident as um, something near the beginning or, you know, you, it might be easy to think of it in terms of the blight um, that Aloy is trying to stop. But really, that's the moment in the game where all of the forces that Aloy is going to be up against uh, sort of come together in one place. 
and are presented for the first time. So that includes uh, the Zenus, um, Silence is there as well, um, and, um, and Beta. And in, you know, I wouldn't describe Beta as uh, an antagonist in the game the way the Far Zeniths are, but she certainly plays an antagonistic type force to Aloy emotionally uh, for a good chunk of the game. So that's really where, that's the point where the story actually really kicks off. Everything before that is kind of prelude, and everything after that is the, is the struggle that Aloy has to, to undergo to defeat them. I will say um, I saw many, many versions of that scene in development, but when I saw the final version and I saw the Zenus, how they just looked physically, I was uh, I was so happy. And Eric in particular <laughs> is just so awful and so menacing uh, in that scene. And I, yeah, we, I was thrilled with the work that the art and cinematics team uh, uh, did on that. And and to your point about, I, I think the the look is something that is so startling in that moment as well, because it is, they are unlike anything, obviously we've seen incredible machines and, and the, you know, machinery that has been existing from the old world, but they have a distinct look and feel to them and it's imposing because you don't know what it is. And, and the fear of that wells up in, I think, both Aloy and at least for me, especially in a battle where you can't really hurt your enemy. Um, it's it's a really great crafting of of, I think, proving how tough an opponent these guys are going to be but but also how how unique they are in in the world of horizon um i i am curious obviously you seed the farzinists in in the beginning of the mission for people who are just playing with forbidden west but there's you know larger connections to them with within the canon um maybe it is hard to pinpoint down but can you talk to me a little bit about how the decision was to have this this group, you know, be the, the main antagonistic force at the end of the day. What, what about them most interested you and, and Annie and the, the writing team in general about having them be something for Aloy to go up against? Well, I mean, so this is interesting because um, part of this was developed during Zero Dawn, which was that we knew um, that there needed to be this colony uh, on, uh, on the, in, around the Sirius star system, that, um, that, which is the origin of the mysterious signal. We, we knew that, and we knew there had to be inhabitants of that colony, and we knew they had to come from the Odyssey. We knew all those things. But what we didn't know was like the personality of the Zeniths. That was something that we developed more um, uh, while we were doing Forbidden West. Um, and uh, for me, I mean, I think it was uh, really the fun part is the sort of aspects that are mirrored from sort of contemporary 21st century America that, that made that fun, right? That, that really, this is a story about nothing, nobody specific. Uh, there's no specific people that we're trying to skewer, but that uh, a story about the sort of immense inequality that exists uh, today. Yeah, and to add to that, I think, you know, another really fun part about writing for Far Zenith is because that was set up in Zero Dawn, if you knew where to look, you know, there's data point mentions that you mentioned the Odyssey, mentioned Far Zenith, but it wasn't really a, a big part of Zero Dawn's story, right? And then when you start Forbidden West, then you get into the first ruin and we introduce that it's Far Zenith from the get-go. Uh, it was just fun to, to work in those acknowledgements to returning players or players who kind of dig into the lore and find those uh, tidbits and and but also you know finding ways for new players to make sure that we we introduce this in a way that makes sense and is understandable um, so just finding those that balance of uh, finding ways to 
acknowledge that this is something that you've heard about before, but is also something new and we're about to expand you know, the, this world. We're gonna grow what, what it means to be in the world of Horizon. Yeah, and, and really just two other quick points. So one is um, another thing that was fun to write about the Zenus is they can speak in totally like contemporary ways. You know, every, like the, the people of Horizon speak in a contemporary way. That it, we, we try not to have it sort of feel like high fantasy or anything like that. But the Zeniths, I mean, they're from the 21st century. And it's like they just talk like one of the some of the Gerard's lines are, are ones that I really like where he's like, He's like, you don't need it, don't want it, or uh, or uh, just oh, you found it fantastic, you know. He he has this kind of corporate, uh, slick kind of feel, and I really we we really uh, enjoyed that. And and just one other thing, I wanted to just uh, circle back to a point you made a second ago. Why did we include the Zenus? I mean, it, like you know, it is it, it is something that's very different than the rest of, of Horizon, but we felt we needed that. We felt like the sequel. It can't just be what you've seen before, right? It, it has to be something else. We have to go in a different direction. Uh, we don't want to break the mold, but we want to make sure that the mold evolves. And, and I think the Zeniths are our answer to that. Absolutely. And and just to your, your point on the dialogue, I absolutely would not have been shocked if, if he had one-liners of like, guess we'll have to circle back on this after, you know. Yeah, uh, no, we love that stuff. Like the idea that yeah. they would speak in like corporate <laughs> jargon is, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. To, to your point, it, it certainly doesn't feel like there's any one, you know, parody of a human being of our time, but it certainly it can be extrapolated of our very technologically focused present, how these people could have been a part of that. Absolutely. Um, and and something I, I do want to touch on another thing you had mentioned there, but before we move off the Farzinaths, I do want to mention, because, of course, Annie, you had brought it up, Tilda and and sort of the characterization there, which is, I think, both brilliant in the writing and obviously Carrie and Moss's performance there real, really gelled together well. I, I guess on one hand, you know, obviously to maybe help people come to a little bit of an understanding on this, but of my own curiosity, did Carrie Ann Moss coming in on the role at all change some of the writing you did for the character? Did it change any approach to, um, you know, her dialogue or things like that? Or was it something that she came in and, and really brought out what had been written? I think it's more well, the latter. I think, I think one, one of the things that's, sorry, any, I'll acknowledge. Yeah, cool. I was about to say so the same great. thing. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's so great about her performance is that she has a really nice understated performance where you can feel things kind of uh, seething underneath. And and that is something that's what we wanted. Um, and, but we, we didn't know exactly what form it would take with her performance, but that's what we got. And we were thrilled with it. Yeah, I was, I was going to say also that uh, we did have an idea, you know, of, of Tilda and of her character uh, in the beginning. And yeah, just seeing what uh, how Carrie Ann interpreted that and what she brought to to the role just made it that much better. Right. It's it's one thing to write the words on a piece of paper and you can kind of imagine the character in your head. But it's really once the, the mocap and the voice recording comes back that the character starts to feel alive. She's also and, wonderful to work with, by the way. Just just to want to throw that out there, she was she was fantastic. She was just absolutely fantastic. It's it's been something that I feel like I've seen both, you know, with this and and the the Matrix. Obviously, there's been a lot of Carrie and Moss, you know, sort of interview uh, stuff at the moment, and the the sort of passion she brings to her projects. I think I even you know saw her in a couple things for Horizon, and and sort of the excitement she had for learning about this character felt really true and and excited and, and passionate and it comes through in that performance um and i i was curious of you know both of you and and the wider team's approach to making this 
very emotionally complex villain because at the end of the day i think you can look at eric and gerard and they they fit some nice archetypes of like people you just really want to take down because of their smarminess <laughs> and, and their evilness but but with tilda you know not just her presenting herself as a potential ally but as we learn of her connections to elizabeth and and, and all of that there, there is so much more that connects her to Aloy and, and so much more that then connects her to the player. I, I assume, and, and I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about the creation of that, that that was a very key part of, of fleshing out this character was to make sure she had that affinity for Aloy and, the, and, and Elizabeth. Definitely. Uh, and what you were saying is exactly right. Having that connection between Tilda and Elizabeth and therefore Aloy's interest and the player's interest in the character, that's really key to, to Tilda's character and what sets her apart from uh, Gerard and Eric, right? We really wanted to, of all the Zeniths, uh, focus on Tilda and her past and the mystery of uh, sort of untangling that past uh, that, that Ayla goes through as the, the sort of core experience of with the Zeniths. Um, so, you know, when, when we're looking at Aloy's journey and thinking about, you know, she's measuring herself up to Elizabeth and she wants to live up to that example. And then comes along a Zenith who has actually known Elizabeth personally and been in a relationship with her uh, a thousand years ago. And, and what does that do to Aloy, especially in that moment of the story when she finally gets to, to talk to her, uh, where, she, you know, she gets to ask her, what was Elizabeth like? This is the first person she's been able to talk to who actually knew what Elizabeth was like in, in the flesh. Uh, so there's that curiosity, but there's also the, the caution and the wariness on Aloy's part of Tilda saying too many of the right things. It's, it's all the things that, you know, at the beginning of the game, Aloy would have loved to hear. But at this point in the story, she has kind of realized it's not just about being like Elizabeth. It's not just about uh, living up to that example. And, and Tilda's coming in and saying all these really nice things that uh, maybe she shouldn't trust. So that was something we really wanted to to look into and, and sort of dig into with uh, with the dialogue between them. My favorite thing about Tilda is that I, I really have, I personally struggle to think of Tilda as a villain. I like, I mean, I know that you fight Tilda, but um, everything that Tilda does is motivated by love. Now, it may not be what everyone would do with that motivation, um, but there's a there is a very rational uh, quality to it, where you know she feels that she made a mistake and she's trying to correct that mistake. And in a certain sense, she views that she's trying to save Aloy's life um, uh, and maybe give her eternal life. So I, I don't think um, I don't know. I uh, I like Tilda. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's I always uh, we all, we see her as a tragic character, right? She yeah, she's yeah. motivated by by love, as Ben is saying, but that it's twisted, or at least the way Aloy and and the player sees it, it's a very twisted form of love. Whereas to Tilda, she's thinking, yeah, she's saving Aloy's life, she's making up for her regrets and her mistakes, and it's a, it's a good thing in the end, in a hundred years from now, or a few hundred years, whenever Aloy forgives her. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of my favorite lines, which is just like you know. You'll feel differently about this in a couple hundred years, you know? Yeah, it's, um, you know, to your point, obviously, it, it's easy to, I think, throw them in the buckets when I'm, I'm talking about these things. But Villain can certainly, I think, be reductive of, of the work that y you all did with uh, Tilda, especially in, in that sense of, as you both pointed out, she's had a thousand years to stew over losing the person that she loved. And so, yeah, there's, as as you both said, it may not be the way we would act, but I, it's 
some it's understandable what she's doing you know within the context of this game and essentially asking Aloy to be like hey let's let's drive out of town to a different planet and find a place we can just be alone together it's it's understandable if not sad and perhaps a little twisted with the rest of the world's plight at the moment Um, and one of my favorite um, pieces of dialogue with her that kind of foreshadows that is uh, if you talk to her in the base before going on the final mission, she tells you about her relationship and her regrets. But she also says, you know, I made a mistake and I won't let that happen again. And then when you get to that final moment and you realize what she really means by that, you can think back to, to that conversation and see that that's that's really what she was talking about the whole time. Absolutely. And there, there's one other aspect of this. And, you know, for those watching the video, you can see some of the, the late game scenes inv- involving the stuff. I do want to mention, you know, before we run out of time and, and Ben, you had mentioned it uh, earlier with that opening scene, Beta and, and her storyline and, and sort of the somewhat, you know, beginning antagonistic nature of it with her and Aloy um, and and, and really the the heartbreak that comes with it. And, and as you learn more about her and, and Ashley Birch's incredible dual performance here of things. Um, I But I'm curious to hear from both of you sort of, of like what was interesting about creating essentially someone like Aloy, but not exactly like and what were some of the, you know, most interesting writing challenges there or opportunities? What most interested you both in the team about this character? Well, I mean, yeah. it was all challenging. Uh, I'll let Annie talk. It was hard. It was really hard. Yeah, I I was going to say it's probably the hardest uh, piece of writing in the entire game uh, in terms of wanting to get it right and trying to, you know, go through all those iterations of figuring out uh, who Beta is and how do we express that in, in the story where she starts off as someone who is more, you know, butting heads and antagonistic with with Aloy, but to get to the point uh, in the pivotal scene where they they sort of understand each other and um, start to see eye to eye, and, and by the end of the game, see each other as sisters. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely the hardest part of of writing for the story, but also the most gratifying to see it come together. Uh, and you know, one of the versions we had of Beta early on. She was actually a lot more um, optimistic and sort of uh, spunky, I guess might not be the right word, but it's the word that's coming to mind, Uh, which you can actually see a little bit of that with her at the very end when she's back in the base. But that version of her just wasn't working out for the arc that we were trying to to tell. And uh, so then we kind of went back to the drawing board and thought about, okay, well, you know, what has Beta gone through? and really thinking about that. And it was really when we started to think of her as a sullen teenager and someone who's depressed and who will lash out, uh, that's when it really started to click of like, okay, this is how we can express her insecurities and her fears, but also in a way that's understandable and it's motivated from her upbringing. I think one of the hardest things was to locate the exact point of empathy in all of the scenes, because it's like, you know, it's easy to be empathetic for Beta, right? I mean, she's had a she's had a very difficult, uh, I mean, a sort of almost like tortured upbringing, and but but we still we really needed the point of empathy to be with the player, to be with Aloy as much as possible, or to always understand what's going on in Aloy's head, and that was really the struggle of like kind of calibrating that perfectly. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. I, I uh, oh, go ahead. 
uh, I was going to add the, I think a key uh, breakthrough was when Ben actually had the, the realization that in that pivotal scene where Ailey has to convince Beta to go on the mission to Gemini, that it's really about unlocking uh, Beta's potential and trying to convince her to go on this on this mission for good reason. Like the player understands why you need to do to do this, but Beta doesn't. And presenting that as a challenge to the player, I think, is what helped you know build that scene and, and make it work. And and so much of I, I think that relationship and that scene in in particular speaks to just a larger theme in the game that I, I really think is is so beautifully done in terms of Aloy coming to terms with the idea that she can't do this all alone, that there are certain parts of this that she feels responsible for, but at the end of the day, she needs other people, whether it's, you know, another version of her to a certain extent, or the the friends and sort of the makeshift family she she has around her. You know, even with Beta, I, I think about how Varl was really responsible also for helping to kind of chip away at, at the the walls that she put up with the rest of the team. And, and you know, there are so many characters we could get into, but I know we're short on time sort of with that group. But, but I was wondering, you know, just on a, a general note, and, and obviously what it means for you and, and Aloy's continuing growth and, and journey, her seeming to know that she can't do this all alone feels like a really big through line of, of, of this game. And, and at the end of it, she has this group who's working with her and, and helping to spread out to all these other tribes, both, you know, one she's recently learned about and, and older ones. Um, how important to you is it that this story is about more than Aloy and, and more than, or, or I guess learning that Aloy is more than just her focused, you know, directive, that she is part of a larger community and group and family of people working to save their lives. Is is that something that feels true to where you hope the character grows both in this game and, and onward? Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, one way of thinking about this is that um, it's all part of a kind of coming of age story. I mean, you know, Aloy starts as, well, we literally see her as a child in Zero Dawn. Uh, then we see her grow up quite quickly in, in one montage, mostly. Um, but then, um, but then we, we see her go through the proving and we see her um, lose her father figure. We see her search for her mother figure. We see so many of these things. And, in, and you know, and that's the first game. And in the second game, it's really about her really joining the world of horizon right because she she's actually you know in a lot of uh, the first game part of the ancient world and so is elizabeth sobek uh, but this is a game that's really about her joining the, the the real the tribal world of 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 horizon but i will say um you know it's a coming of age story Ailey's only in what 2021 there's more to go there's more there's more to go and there's more evolution there a lot more i think yeah, and to add to to what Ben said, uh, you know, the heart and soul of this story is Aloy's relationship with Beta, but as you pointed out, her relationship with her companions and also the side characters like Hikaru and Dekka um, that she meets through through the main story and the side quests, and and yeah, that's that's a huge focus uh, for this story, and it's it's that was the chapter of her growth that we wanted to tell, but as Ben said. It's a it's an it's an ongoing story. It's an ongoing growth for her. Absolutely. Well, actually, what Annie, oh. Annie just said um, <laughs> sort of sort of actually encapsulates you know the final scene, the kind of like epilogue, right? Because it's actually it's wrapped with Aloy and Beta. You kind of see that at the beginning and the end of the scene, and in between that, there are all the tribal uh, components, the people, that you know what happens to Quen, what's going to happen to the Tanakh, what's going to happen to the Asram. 
and even Moreland and his crew. Um, and so, you know, and so that's, but it's all wrapped in this, in this idea of like Aloy's no longer alone. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what we were trying to achieve. Uh, and, and, you know, where we go next, I, I don't know, but I, I do know that um, Aloy still has growing to do. I, I know that for sure. Absolutely. And and speaking to that final scene, I think I could probably spend 45 minutes just asking you about something like the Quen alone and, and everything brilliant that works there. And and just the the brilliance in how short a time I grew to hate the CEO uh, from <laughs> and, and how wonderful that arc is in such short a time. Uh, but before we wrap up, I just did want to briefly mention, you know, you, you mentioned Moreland and the, the Sea of Sands level in particular is, is such a beautiful uh, encapsulation for me of, I think, Aloy learning to work with other people, learning to hear their stories, learning what her current world is versus what the world used to be. And it, it's beautiful and brilliant and, and was another moment that got me choked up. Um, just with with a moment like that, just to speak briefly to it before we wrap up, um, how obviously I think in this game, there is more of a focus on Aloy really learning of the relationship between the old world and her current world um, more fully now that she has a, a fuller understanding of that. Um, what, could you speak just a little bit to about the creation of a sequence like that and how it speaks to those larger goals of wanting to marry the, the old and new together on Aloy's journey? I mean, some of it is just so specific to what we wanted to do with Vegas, because all of this, all of this was sort of wrapped up in this idea of like, well, what can we show about Las Vegas that's new? Well, let's show it underwater. Right. And that seemed to go really well with uh, Poseidon. But then um, you can't do Las Vegas without thinking a little bit about show business. And I think that's really where the where the Moreland character came from. And that idea just kept growing as we kept writing and kept talking to the art and design teams, which was like, OK, well, if we're really going to do this, then it, then we need these kind of mirrored things where where you have. Uh, the ancient past with Stanley Chen and and how he created this uh, beautiful city, but then but then couldn't quite let it die. And who would pick up the torch for that? And and that and that's how we sort of got to Moreland and, and his crew. And um, it was just one of those things where I think here at the studio we all just fell in love with the whole set of ideas, uh, the physical nature of Vegas, the, those characters, um, also just 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 the most romantic. And I say that in in the sense of like. Um, uh, positive uh, version of Las Vegas that we could possibly come up with. And, um, and then the performances, oh my God, like we, we, <laughs> we scored with those three guys, you know? So it, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I think also um, it, it really is the, a great quest to look at, to see when all the different parts of our studio are working, you know, at their, at their top, we have the story, but we also have the, the art and the music, um, you know, both while you're exploring and, and with the Tide Ripper fight. Um, I remember the first time I heard it in a play test, I was like, whoa, it was so nice. Um, but it's all those those elements coming together, and I think that's it's a great quest to see. Uh, you know, you're always just gratified to see when all of those elements are working together, and and what kind of experience you can build from that. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a really great quest. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it is an absolutely gorgeous moment, um, you know, preceding, I think, so many of the incredible things that come throughout the rest of the game. And and Ben, as you were saying, I could watch the three of those guys in like a half hour sitcom version of the Horizon world and, and just see what travails they get up to. It's it's such a joy. And, and again, with them or, you know, the Quinn and the CEO, I think 
the the whole writing team, you all did a tremendous job of really quickly getting to the specificity of who these characters are and making us either love or hate them or understand their complexity throughout the the process. So thank you both for, you know, diving into all of this with me and and f- for, you know, letting me learn about some of the creation process of this and, and letting our audience as well. It's it's such an incredible journey the team has crafted and I really appreciate everything you, you both have done. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. much for having us. And yeah, it's, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, I feel uh, very grateful. I've gotten to talk to you, I think, at least three times during this this process. <laughs> so it's been great. Yeah. And let's let's keep it up, man. Like, if you want to have us back, we'll come back. Absolutely. Uh, the, the door is open anytime. It's a virtual door, but it is it is always open. And um, <laughs> I, yeah, so many tremendous things. And, you know, just speaking to earlier about the incredible work of paying off what you did um, what was done with Horizon Zero Dawn, the Far Zeniths, and the mystery of who sent the signal. I, and I'm sure many players, will be poring over every single data point in this game to find out what mysteries lie in wait. Um, but uh, in the meantime, thank you again, Ben and Annie, for joining me for this episode. Really, really appreciate all your insight and the incredible game that you and the team have made. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Happy data point hunting as well. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be up to it for quite a while, I'm sure. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. We hope you enjoyed this special conversation about Horizon Forbidden West and hope you've continued to explore it like I have. Please write into beyondadigian.com with some of your questions about the game, some of your thoughts. We, we love to read them on the show in the weeks to come. And I'm sure we'll be talking about Horizon a lot throughout the year because we can't stop talking about how much we love it on the show. But that is going to pretty much do it for this week's episode of Podcast Beyond. Thank you again, Annie and Ben. Thank you for joining me. Thank you to the audience out there for listening and watching. We hope you're doing well and we hope you're staying safe. And as always, beyond. We are the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. I'm Yen, a reader, writer, liver, and breather of comic books. And I'm Nat, and I know absolutely nothing about comics. Which makes both of us authorities in our respective fields. Exactly. Hey, wait. On Comic Sans, I make Nat read some of my favorite comics, including Sandman Saga and Laura Olympus. And Yen tells me what makes that comic special. Then I hear what Nat thinks, and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. Listen to Comic Sans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can already binge our first season, and we just released a special bonus episode on Across the Spider-Verse. Hey, Nat, before we go, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me what Comic-Con is. Is it related to Chili Con Carn? Do you mean chili con carne? Maybe we should be chili sands.